Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. So my guest today is Michelle Dickinson, such a beautiful soul, I have to say. It's been an absolute pleasure to record this episode with her. With Michelle, you will meet a guest who is truly authentic, really being herself so open and an incredible ambassador for self-leadership. She is a well-being and resilience authority, an author, a TED speaker, and very, very passionate mental and health change agent. She supports organizations in raising awareness about mental health, but also making sure that this awareness is then put into action and people are being supported on their mental health journey. There are so many people out there who struggle with mental health illness and either don't realize that they do or they do, but they don't share it and they don't speak up about it. So it's important that we increase a more open dialogue and conversation about mental health and then really give people the opportunity to get support. She embarked on her own healing journey of self-discovery years ago, and she shares that in her memoir that offers a really rare glimpse into a young girl's experience living with and loving her bipolar mother. This is something we're going to talk about today. What impact did that have on her and how did she use the experience in her life and in particular in the work she is doing nowadays? She really knows firsthand what it feels like to struggle with a mental illness after experiencing her own depression due to challenging life events of her own just a few years ago. And she has recently concluded her 19-year pharmaceutical career and became an entrepreneur. So in particular nowadays in this COVID environment where more and more people really struggle with mental health challenges, it is so important to have support and to really verbalize the challenges we may be facing. So today we are going to talk about so many topics, Michelle's journey and uh, battle with mental health, but we are also very clearly bringing some facts on the table, right? What does actually the deteriorating mental health situation cost organizations? In the UK, across the States, we bring in some numbers that are really eye-opening as well. We are also going to talk about what is employee burnout and what's causing it and how can we help people who struggle with burnout in general. It's not just a phrase, it's something that's real and we've got to open our eyes to it. So if you are interested in getting deeper into your leadership level and really understanding yourself, but also others and making sure that you support others as much as you can, then this episode is definitely for you and I can't wait to share the conversation that I have had with Michelle with you. So do enjoy and I speak to you in a moment. So hello and welcome, Michelle. It's so good to have you here. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, I couldn't wait to have you here. Big, big topic we are going to discuss on today's show, mental health, and in particular, how we can normalize speaking about mental health in organizations, but also simply making mental health 
a part of everyday's life without the stigma that still applies in so many areas. So I'm so delighted to have a specialist on board today with you. How are you doing first of all? I mean, you as everybody else has been going through various lockdowns, right? A yeah. pandemic that no one really expected. Sure. How have you dealt with it? It has not been easy, Kathleen. I will tell you, you know, living alone by myself and being quarantined and working for myself, right? I have a small, mm. small business as an entrepreneur. I used to be able to have the luxury to go to a coffee house and see people and yeah. smile at people. And we don't have that. So it's definitely been a journey. I've just, you know, made sure to keep connected to people. You know, the connection is really vital, but I'm doing okay. I mean, I keep my routine. I have animals to keep me to keep me company. So I'm doing quite well. I guess the same could be turned to you. Like, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. I'd say 2020 was challenging, but I kind of, I was pregnant in 2020. So I was pretty distracted. 2021 feels far more challenging. A, it's lockdown number three. And I notice it's getting to me. I really miss people and seeing people face to face, hugging people. I know. Um, Seeing my family, my, my little boy is now over three months old. He hasn't met anyone in the wider family yet. That really gets to me. Not traveling, not experience freedom, which is one of my top values. Mm. I'm feeling literally locked in. I yeah. find that very, very hard at the moment. Right. And as you said, it's important to have some sort of a routine. And I'm just delighted that here in the UK, spring weather is coming. So you get your vitamin D on a regular basis going outside and enjoying the weather. That really helps, but it's, it's tough. It's really tough. You know, I say to people all the time, we look at how our neighbor is faring during this experience and they might seem like they're okay. Like when people say we're all in the same boat, we're all in the same boat. We're actually not in the same boat. We might be mm. in the same body of water, but we're all in very unique boats and we're all mm. navigating this in a very unique way. So you just can't assume that everyone is doing okay and you should be doing okay. You should just be yeah. able to give yourself grace and say, I am where I am and I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yet I still notice that when you ask people, how are you? That the answer is, as you just mentioned, yeah, I'm fine. I'm all right. I'm doing okay. Yeah. Instead of, if that is the case, obviously, I'm not doing okay. I'm actually not feeling well at all. Yeah. Do you know why that is? What's holding people back from really opening up and really sharing what's going on for them? I think it's fear and judgment. I think those are the two issues with the stigma. People mm -hmm. are so afraid to show that they might be dealing with something because we have this skewed perspective around brain health that, you know, you're not balanced or you're going to put the world at risk or, you know, we have these, these false beliefs around imbalanced mental health that it has people stay clammed up and not openly expressed. But the beauty is, is if you can have the courage to express that you're struggling, you give someone you love an opportunity to be a contribution to you and help you yeah. versus staying in your head. So I think it's still the stigma. We have work to do. We need more courageous people to go first so that mm -hmm. they can normalize the conversation. 
Yeah. And you obviously are a specialist in the mental health area. You said you have a small business. You're an entrepreneur helping organizations and people in organizations to overcome that stigma. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about what you do. (laughs) I am all about creating cultures of compassion. I really want people to feel included. So when we think about invisible disabilities, it's the ability for people to acknowledge people with those invisible disabilities and and provide a level of support that they might need. So I work with organizations to really look at what they're doing in the workplace for mental health and also teach resilience. Resilience is something that psychological resilience, especially now in the face of COVID, people have lost their footing. They've lost their routines. They've lost a lot and they almost have lost control of how they're doing. And that's a slippery slope. So resilience is an important tool to have people be reminded they have more control than they think they do. And so that's what I have been really focusing on is empowering people so they stay engaged. They stay engaged in their life, engaged in their work and balanced before, you know, preventing a crisis. So, so this is a really interesting topic. Both of us work with organizations, leaders in organizations. One topic I am supporting organizations with at the moment is how we can create safe cultures where people can open up, where people can trust each other, they can connect better and so on and so forth in the end to really increase the bottom line, right? But how we can create cultures where people really enjoy going to work and where they can literally raise anything and they can just be themselves. It feels really hard to leaders in particular to encourage this kind of environment in the virtual space. It feels much harder this year than it felt last year due to Zoom fatigue, all of these conflicting priorities that people face when they work from home consistently and so on and so forth. There's so much happening. What is it leaders can do in this environment in COVID and post COVID to really encourage this psychological resilience, safety and workplace where people can really open up about what matters to them? Well, they got to go first. There's just no two ways about it. They're human beings. Their lives have all probably been affected by some type of mental illness, whether they loved someone or they struggled with anxiety or they struggled with depression. Imagine if they go first and sort of share a little bit of a little, give us all just a little glimmer into their lives, into how human they are. That can literally set the tone for how people engage in a conversation about mental health. It gives Mm. them permission to even talk about that leader. And when you talk about someone else's story, you can see a thread of your own in it. So I think leaders have, especially now, a huge responsibility to just be human and just share and just allow people the space to do the same, connect and support one another. Yeah. Have we unlearned to be just human? Isn't that the truth? We're, we're like this employee number in mm-hmm. a big cog, you know, just a cog in a wheel. And we lose that humanity. And I feel mm-hmm. like love and compassion and connection and empathy could really cultivate some amazing team dynamics and ultimately performance and ultimately your bottom line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
100%. I read a little bit about statistics on mental health in particular in the UK. And now I want to hear the numbers about the US as well. And it said that we are in the middle of a mental health crisis, right? One in six adults actually proactively seek mental health services, some sort of help. That doesn't mean that the other adults don't face any mental health illness, but just one in six really says, okay, I'm looking for some support here. Right. And what I found interesting is that 75% of people with mental health illnesses, right? And that can be depression, it can be anxiety, whatever it is, do actually not receive any treatment right. because the health system is overwhelmed or it's not being taken seriously or they feel shame of seeking right. for it and expressing that I need it. And there are many other reasons, right? which really shocked me. 75%. That's a huge number. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the same in the U S you know, it's, it's interesting. Our statistic that the uh, CDC put out said that one in three Americans are dealing with depression or anxiety mm -hmm. because of the pandemic. That yeah. doesn't, that doesn't explain the percentage of those who are actually seeking help. We know a lot less are seeking help, especially now we have a youth suicide issue in the U.S. where so many teens and youth, they don't have hope. So, yeah, that that is a huge problem when you know that there are so many people suffering, yet they're not, there's a barrier between them suffering and getting support, whatever the barrier looks like, whether it's access mm -hmm. to care or whether it's shame of fear or embarrassment. So they're suffering in silent and that's no way to live, to not have any joy in your life or, yeah, it's, it's truly unfortunate and there needs to be more access to care and more open conversations so people aren't mm -hmm. embarrassed about it. Yeah. We are moving into a kind of vicious cycle here as well, because yeah. statistics also show that younger people are the ones who, who suffer the most from the pandemic, losing their jobs as well mm -hmm. at the moment and feeling a little bit lost in terms of what's my purpose, where's the journey going to. Mm -hmm. And statistics have shown that 50% more of the people with mental illness are losing their jobs actually during redundancies. Yeah. Of restructurings a lot of organizations go through and that obviously impacts the level of mental illness it creates more anxiety right it creates strain in the home if you have a, mm. a partner that's that's not working it creates that pressure you know the flip side of that is you know there's a forbes article that says 69 of employees are experiencing burnout symptoms while working from home so what we thought was a luxury to be able to work from home is actually causing us to burn out because we don't have those structures. We don't have the bookends of the day where we're used to drive to the, to work and drive home. The lines are getting blurred between home and work and people are not stepping away to recharge and refresh. Mm. So yeah, there's a lot there, there. There's a lot there working, not working. I think we will see, Unfortunately, coming out of this pandemic, there's going to be severe mental health challenges and, yeah. and a bigger crisis. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that makes it more important for us to start to do our part in the workplace because that's where people are connected the most. So what are the risks for organizations of not dealing with mental health challenges? So it, the CDC says that $17 billion is lost annually in productivity due to unsupported mental health challenges. And that's 200 million workdays each year are lost 
for example, just to depression. So we need, we need people to realize the financial, the productivity, you know, the human capital, your employees are your greatest asset. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it behooves you to really start to treat them that way, especially in times of crisis like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I've read articles that now is the time where companies breed that loyalty, really show up for their people, really support them, you know, go above and beyond an 800 support line, like really figure out ways to support them so they, they can be okay. Mm. What I hear very often from the leaders I'm working with is, I don't have the time for this. I'm so busy. I have more responsible or wider responsibilities. I have so much to do. How should I then connect with my employees even more? And it's sometimes challenging to help them understand and really believe in the power of this strong connection, this coming back to being human with another human, and that this actually in the end will increase productivity. It will actually help you with your widened responsibilities and your to-do list and so on and so forth. What is it you do to support those organizations to raise awareness? Can you just share with us some tangible steps? Yeah, sure. I think, but before I answer that, I just want to piggyback on what you just said. Mm. I think the perception is talking to an employee, it's easier to step over an issue. It's easier Mm. to look the other way, right? It's uncomfortable to really look at someone and say, really, how how are you doing? Because it's inconvenient to have to address it. When it comes to business deliverables and expectations that are being placed within organizations, it's inconvenient to have to pause for a minute and check in and address an issue. But that person is your, is your employee. So as inconvenient as it might be, it's still the best thing to be doing to make the time to do. And, and that it has so much to do with teaching leaders, people leaders specifically how to have empathy, compassion, and cultivate that trust. So support can be address, you know, people can get the support they need quickly and they can, they can get more empowered around their mental health. So I think we need to to realize that it's perceived as an inconvenience. And if we can start to relate to it as, Mm -hmm. as being, you know, it's just part of the human experience. We are complex human beings. My therapist said this to me. He said, you know what, Michelle, we are complex human beings just trying to navigate our life's journey. And I thought, oh my goodness, like, every single person in an organization is a unique human being with Mm. different complexities around their lives. Mm. Like we can't just pretend that we're little robots executing in a bubble. We are human. So, so now to answer your other question. So I, I love when an organization comes to me and says, we want to do more for our people because that tells me that's a forward thinking organization an organization that, really wants to do the right thing and they care. And they're, they're probably also very motivated by the bottom line, which they have to be, I get it. So what I do is I'll work with them to, first of all, let's figure out how your people are really doing, because I'll be honest with you, as much as you're on a Zoom call with your manager and your manager might be asking you how you're doing, it depends so largely upon the trust that has been built between the two, whether or not that manager really knows how that person's doing. So I like to go in and do an anonymous assessment to really get the pulse of how people are faring during this pandemic. And from there, we can really look at what are the challenges that surfaced in that survey or in that burnout assessment. And then we can go from there. 
one of the things my clients love is when I deliver my resilience program, because those are tangible, actionable steps employees can take daily to just bring them back and empower them. So I'm not teaching anything brand new. I'm just reminding them of their own power and what they have access to that they can be taking on day to day that will small incremental changes daily can create big results. So I teach the resilience program and that's something that I've, I've reached about 2000 plus employees throughout this pandemic so far. That's, that's a huge number throughout this pandemic only. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What were the big aha moments that those employees had? You know, permission, permission to be a human being. We get so busy in our day-to-day lives that nobody gives us permission to just feel what we're feeling. And that's the first thing I do in my program is I say, can you just get present to how you're feeling right now? Hmm. Not yesterday, not, you know, any other time than this moment right now, how are you feeling? And I want you to get into a routine of doing that. So we get them present to that and and then we give them tools. But the biggest aha that I heard was I had someone attend my program and said, you know what? I've been trying to navigate anxiety by myself and it's not working. You Mm. gave me the okay. You gave me the permission to realize I don't have to do this alone. And now I'm going to get clinical support. So it's really just normalizing the conversation and bridging people from, I'm not even going to acknowledge how I'm feeling to I'm struggling. And I think it's time that I reach out and I'm okay with reaching out because, Mm. because I shouldn't be ashamed. I'm just human. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? And what I've experienced in my corporate life was that as soon as someone showed some signs of mental illness, Right. There was this either avoidance right. or playing this person down or the signs that this person shows or it's like he or she are exaggerating or they were pretty quickly on the list of, oh, do we really want them to be uh, a part of our team going forward? It was quite harsh. Right. My role is obviously to help and support this situation, but, but there's still a sort of avoidance behavior. Right. And I wonder mm-hmm. how we can normalize the conversations. I wonder how we can get to a stage where we say, let's just have an open chat about it. What is really happening here for you? How can I support right. you? Right. I had um, a conversation uh, several months ago with a woman who she and, and this other woman, it was, it was a three-way interview actually about lean, lean uh, technology in the workplace. Mm fascinating, a fascinating conversation. But the one woman had actually known a colleague who took their life. So you think about the ripple effect after that. She was not aware of the signs and symptoms the person had been had been exhibiting. But I share that because that's what's at stake. By looking away and stepping over it, you know, that person might not have someone at home checking in on them. As human beings, we're all connected. I believe in my heart, we're all connected. And when someone's suffering or someone's dealing with something, we're all affected. So how hard could it be to just extend yourself and say, how are you doing? I think the reality is people feel like they need to fix it or be a clinician and they don't have to do that. All they have to do is extend their heart and really check in with them and maybe even guide them to support, but they don't have to fix it. 
but what's at stake by not is you don't know what could happen. You don't know how Mm. bad it is for them, you know? Absolutely. And go beyond the cliche. Hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. Why not ask a little bit further? Yeah. How, you know, how has it, has the situation been for you lately? How has your last week been? I found it quite challenging. What about you? What challenges have you experienced? Is there anything I can help you with? You can go in a very human and simple way further than just the cliche. How are you doing? And I'm actually not listening to the answer anymore. Yes. I think that's really. Or, or, Hey, I noticed that, you know, I don't get to see your smile or mm. I, I'm noticing your energy is not, you know, what I know you to be. And I, that's why I want to check in on you. Mm. And I think, you know, we know the people we work closest with, we know their demeanor, yeah. we know their energy. And if it's off, yeah. we should be asking them if they're okay yeah. and, doing and check in on them. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You mentioned the, the expression reclaim balance. So I'm always a bit cynical when I hear the word balance. I talk about it as well, but balance can mean different things to different people. Right. When you talk about reclaiming balance, what does it mean to you? Getting your head straight, getting your head straight on what you have control over and what you don't. So balance is you're not at the effects of life. You've done things in your life to create, to create a mindset of hope. There are, there are things you can specifically do to reclaim some hope. And that hope is the balance. If you ask me, that's my opinion. But it's very easy to get sucked into the negative vortex of what's going on in the news and everything. So when I say reclaim balance, it's really about clearing out your head and getting your head straight. Everything stems from your mindset. Everything stems from your perspective on life, whether the glass is half full or half empty. That's what I mean by balance. And if you can get that in check, things Mm. start to slowly fall into place around you. So exercise, that could mean a good diet. That could mean meditation to clear your head when there's so much in your mind. That could mean eight hours of sleep, making sure you're not sleep deprived. How hard is it to do life when you're sleep deprived? As a new mom, you get it. (laughs) Tell me about it. Just wanted to say. (laughs) All of that. It's, It's mindset mind shift mindset. But again, that probably requires some sort of awareness. And this awareness can come because you shared with someone else, and you may get good advice, or you take time for yourself to read or simply step back and look at your life and say, okay, what is it I really need, right? Tune in to yourself and to your needs. That's really important. Mm -hmm. And something not everyone does. Right. Well, it's like you think about a, a train running off the track, I mean, or a car with, with a one bad wheel, you're, you're not yeah. going to be able to go forward. You got to have everything in order. Exactly. So what is the key message in particular business leaders need to hear in order to say, oh my God, I really need to pay more attention to mental health. You have to realize that deteriorating mental health will cost the organization a lot. So it makes sense to do more than you what you've historically done in the past because what we're living through mm. is not normal. Yeah. It's just so hard for so many people and if you want the best out of your people, you got to meet them with what they're dealing with. Absolutely. What are the consequences? What are the big 
Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot. I asked about, yeah. I mean, so we have disability costs, right? Disability costs for people going out on disability. We have underperformance, disengagement, and the ultimate, like we spoke about, can your organization sustain a suicide? And do you even want to deal with that? Yeah. Because if that happens, the ripple effect within your organization is not going to be, it's not going to be good. Mm. So, you know, if you, if you could do just a little bit more, you're going to give your employees the shot to show up and be healthier for their lives and for their, and for their jobs. Yeah. And hopefully for themselves as well, you know, quite often, again, coming back to those business leaders, organization leaders I'm, I'm talking to and I'm working with, when they ask the questions, what can I do? You know, I'm such a busy person. I often say, how do you feel on a day-to-day basis? How much can you share? How often do you speak up? How trusting do you feel? And they often say, I feel really lonely. I actually can't share much with other people because I deal with topics that are very confidential or I need to kind of keep my guard up because I'm in a certain position and so on and so forth. And then there is a very quickly the aha moment of, oh my God, other people might feel as lonely as well. And actually we can build proper connection here and support each other. Yeah. And they realize that the more they open up and they can share, the more they encourage others to do that. Yeah. They lead the way they, they lead by example, right? Yeah. Like, how do you want to make sure your people aren't, you know, burning out and working around the clock? You have to model that behavior. Yes. How do you, how do you want employees to, to be doing it emotionally? And you have to model that behavior. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be unashamed with sharing. You know, I dealt with anxiety at one point in my life, or my partner is clinically depressed and this is what my life is like. And it's challenging, but you know, there's that relatedness that gives us permission to just be our human selves. Exactly. So the guests I have on this show and I welcome on this show are not just experts in their field, but they are credible. And they are credible not just because they have studied a certain topic and they have done research and they have years of experience, but also quite often they have experienced those topics they teach and they support others with themselves. You are one of those experts who has experienced mental health and still experiencing it yourself. Tell us a little bit more about your story at work, where you experienced challenges, but also in your personal life. Yeah. So I grew up all around mental illness, where some people may not have had like mental illness intersect their lives. It was part of my childhood. My mother was bipolar And I spent many, many years caring for her and like just witnessing her deep, depressing lows and her extreme mania. And, and that was very much the foundation for my compassion and empathy, because there, there is nothing harder than watching someone suffer and not being able to help. So that shaped me. And then, you know, a few years ago, I was going through a divorce. It was really hard. And I was clinically depressed. I was diagnosed as depressed and I was adopted. So I thought I'm not going to ever have to deal with this. I'm adopted, but sure enough, you know, life events can remind us that nobody's immune to a mental illness. So I was diagnosed with depression and had a really hard time with it. And then in my workplace, I remember having the courage to tell my leader and her saying to me, you know, in my performance review, six months later, you just didn't bring your bubbly upbeat self to work every day. 
Hmm. And I thought you're judging me on my bubbliness when I'm confidently, confidentially telling you that I'm clinically depressed and just trying to do the best I can. So it felt so unfair. So yeah, that, and when I was in my fortune 50 company, I was leading one of the first mental health employee resource groups with the idea of bringing people together to support one another, people with lived mental health experience, people who had navigated a mental illness and they were back in the workplace. They represent hope. And we were sort of finding one another in this very organic employee resource group and supporting one another and learning from one another and slowly removing the stigma in that workplace. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I just, I knew I wanted to be a bigger contribution in the world. And and so I thought I have these three lenses on mental health. Let me go and and use them for good and, and help organizations. Wow. I mean, A, thank you for sharing it so openly. Yeah. But be wow to it. It sounds so simple. Yeah, I, I have these three lim- lenses, so I decided to make a positive impact. I don't think that it it is that simple, and that it was that easy for you. What helped you along the way to get to the stage where you say, "Hey, this is really some some impactful and really powerful insight that I have. Let's use it in a positive way." Storytelling. I think for me what got me really connected to how I could change the world was I gave a Ted talk that like was validation that my story could make a difference because people came up to me afterward. They were like, Oh my goodness, I could relate to you. I had a so-and-so in my family or I'm clinically depressed. That was beautiful. That gave me the confidence to write my book. So I wrote my memoir Mm -hmm. and the reaction to the book further solidified that I needed to tell my story. And if I could tell my story, I could change more lives. So it just seemed like a natural progression. And I think the ultimate for me was when my, my leader said that to me about my bubbly upbeat self, Mm -hmm. that was really it for me. I just realized I need to do more and make sure no one else suffers. Yeah. Yeah. And writing your memoir, must have been quite therapeutic, I could imagine. What did that do to you? Four long cathartic years. It was amazing. And it was also very hard because I had to relive the abuse. My mom was pretty abusive. But getting it into writing and having people experience what I experienced was really what I wanted because I wanted to humanize mental illness for people who had no perspective about it. So it was cathartic and it was something ultimately I was very proud to release. Ah, gosh. Thank you so much for doing it and for sharing your experience with the world. Do leave the audience with one top tip, one tiny step they can literally take right away in order to humanize mental illness. Don't be afraid to check in on yourself about how you're doing. Mm -hmm. Just like we wake up in the morning, we scan our physical body for what hurts scan how your brain is feeling and don't step over anything when your friends are talking to you and they're struggling and don't be afraid to ask someone how they're doing because you could be the only person that's checking on them. Yeah. Gosh. It reminds me of um, two good friends of mine who keep saying to me, Kathy, you're really bad at asking for help, which is so true. I still struggle to say, I need help. Can you support me? But once I do it, It just feels liberating. It's amazing. And it builds such a strong connection to the person who actually checked in with you. 
So it has tons of benefits and trust that people will tell you if they can't help you. They might not be the right person. Or it's not the best time. I will say, hey, I'm so sorry, but I recommend someone else to you. There's always, you know, some way that you can receive support. So don't be like me and don't ask for help. It, it can do the trick, really. Well, it's it's like the vortex in your mind. There's something so magical when you verbalize how you're doing. It just becomes so much less scarier then we think we make things much bigger in our heads. But when we actually find someone to confide in that we can tell, it sort of diffuses everything that we had about it going on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Michelle, your services are so beneficial. They are absolutely needed in the world, not just because of COVID. COVID emphasizes now how much it is needed. But in general, there's so much work to be done. So please do let our audience know where they can find you. Absolutely. So you want to go to my website, which is michelledickinson.com with two L's and Dickinson, D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N. And you want to go to programs and go to protecting our happy because that's where my resilience program is. And I want you to learn all about what I, what I provide with my resilience program, because I think it's such a powerful thing to give people resilience tips because you really then give them back their power. So yeah, check out my website and you can learn about my story. You can learn more about my book. Yeah. Lovely. And we are obviously going to publish those links as well in our show notes. So do check them out and then get in touch with Michelle. But also do let us know what your struggles are or what your success stories are when it comes to mental health. Let's talk about it far more openly. So we'd love to hear your feedback. Leave a message in the show notes, contact us, obviously, and, and do share and connect in particular. So... That's it for today already. I can't believe it. Thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us, for sharing your wonderful story, for sharing your insights, and hopefully for encouraging the audience to speak up about mental health. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Have a wonderful day. Take good care of yourself and of others, obviously, as well, that you work with. And to everyone outside who is listening to the podcast, please do take care of yourselves and seek support once you notice something doesn't quite feel right. Okay, we're here for you. So do let us know if we can support you in any way. Take good care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.